You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickern, and with me today is Dr. Nigel Unwin. Dr. Unwin is Professor of Epidemiology at Newcastle University, the United Kingdom. He is the joint head of the Newcastle WHO Collaborating Center for Diabetes Mellitus, and he is chairman of the recently published Diabetic Atlas, put out by the International Diabetic Federation. Thank you very much, Dr. Unwin, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Today we're going to be discussing the world epidemic of diabetes. But before we get to that, could you tell us a little bit about the mission of the International Diabetic Federation? Yes, the International Diabetes Federation works on behalf of people with diabetes all over the world and on behalf of people at risk of developing diabetes. Its vision is a world without diabetes, which clearly is a very ambitious vision. Its membership is made up of national diabetes associations. And for example, the American Diabetes Association, Diabetes UK, and over 150 other national associations are members of the membership of the International Diabetes Federation. Could you tell us about the Diabetic Atlas? Tell us about its organization, its purpose, and who can use this as a reference? Sure. The Atlas is first and foremost designed as a tool to provide information about the global burden of diabetes. It's there to be used especially for advocacy. So to provide information to people about the uh, numbers with diabetes within their country or within their region of the world, to provide what information is available on the, the complication rates of people with diabetes in different parts of the world. And then also it provides suggestions and examples of good practice, if you like, and examples of initiatives on how to improve uh, healthcare for diabetes and how to improve the prevention of diabetes. It's something that can be used by advocates, but it's also something that, for example, can be given to ministers of health or ministries of health as an, an information package in its own right and something they could use as a resource to find out more about diabetes. Why has it taken so long for the world to wake up to the fact that there is an epidemic worldwide of diabetes? It's a very good question. I think there are two main reasons to this, in my view. On a global level, the first is, is that diabetes is often seen, along with other diseases such as cardiovascular disease, often labeled and seen as so-called diseases of affluence. And so it's this assumption that places like North America, places like Western Europe, this is where diabetes really occurs. Well, in fact, as the Diabetes Atlas shows, most people, 70% of the world's population with diabetes, live in low- and middle-income or developing countries. And that's partly a, a function that most of the world live in low- and middle-income countries. But in fact, it's also the case, as the Atlas shows, that the prevalence of diabetes, particularly in urban areas in developing countries, even in poor countries such as Tanzania, in the urban centers, the prevalence of diabetes is as high as it is in Western Europe or North America. And I think this is a fact that just isn't appreciated. It's the assumption that in places, in developing countries, it's still infectious diseases, the, the predominant cause of death and morbidity, whereas in fact conditions like diabetes especially are already highly prevalent and are increasing rapidly in such situations. You know, we're used to associating obesity with diabetes, but if you watch the media, you frequently see these countries represented by thin children and then obese adults. Mm. How do you respond to that? There are a couple of things to say there, I would say. The one thing to say is that probably not all populations are 
equally at risk of type 2 diabetes, the type of diabetes associated with obesity, for a given level of body mass index, you know, the standard approach to, to measuring obesity. So, for example, people of South Asian or Indian origin seem to be at higher risk of type 2 diabetes at a lower level of body mass index. And that seems to be partly because at a given body mass index, they have a greater percentage of body fat than, say, someone of European or Caucasian origin. So I think that's one factor. And the reasons for that are there are various hypotheses as to why that might be the case. And one concerns something that's often referred to as the genetic uh, thrifty genotype. And another refers, by contrast, to something called the thrifty phenotype, which is that the environment you're born into during the environment that you grew up in, in your mother's womb and then were born into, then influences your risk of things like diabetes in later life. And maybe if you're interested, we can go into those a bit more. But there's two hypotheses as to why in countries where you have thin children but obese adults, you seem to get a huge amount of diabetes. I guess the other thing that's worth saying and often isn't thought about, there may be those underlying physiological or biological reasons for greater risk in countries like that. But something else worth remembering is that in many countries you have alongside sections of the population that are obese, you have sections of the population that are very underweight and actually malnourished and obviously occasionally starving. Uh, And so in situations like that, it's not a surprise that to be chunky or to be well-covered, if you like, is to be seen as being healthy and to be seen as desirable. And so I think you also need to take into account that in some parts of the world, it is seen as desirable, a sign of being healthy a sign of good living is to actually have a good layer of adipose tissue around you. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and I'm speaking with Dr. Nigel Unwin, and we're discussing diabetes mellitus, a world epidemic. There seems to be other myths about diabetes, that it affects not only rich countries, but the elderly. It takes more money to manage diabetes than infectious diseases. Also, that diabetes is really a reflection of unhealthy lifestyle. And so very often diabetics are not shown the same sympathy that you might show a child suffering from AIDS. What do we do about educating people to these myths? These are very tough things to approach, I would say, to address. I mean, there are several things in your question there. I mean, one of them about the infection is clearly with a specific infection, if you have a specific antibiotic or pharmacological therapy, then that will cure that infection. And diabetes is not like that. Like other chronic diseases, such as cardiovascular disease, it requires often lifetime or usually lifetime treatment. So it's clearly different to that. It's more similar to HIV AIDS, I guess, which also requires lifelong therapy uh, in, in most people. That's one thing to say. In terms of the idea that this is people's own fault to some extent. We're talking here clearly about type 2 diabetes for which the strongest risk factors are overweight and obesity and physical inactivity and then some aspects of diet, for example, and possibly smoking. So for that, there is this strong perception that many people wish to make that it's people's own fault because they've undertaken these lifestyles and this is the consequence of it. Similar perhaps to the idea that if you get lung cancer and you're a smoker, then to some extent it's your own fault. I guess the thing that I would really emphasize, and certainly from, you know, with my public health hat on, if you like, to take one step back and not to think so much about blaming individuals, but to say, how do we go about addressing this problem? Clearly, 
wherever you look in the world, diabetes is increasing. Again, one of the things shown in the Diabetes Atlas, whether it's North America or Sub-Saharan Africa or Western Europe, in all populations you look at, the evidence is diabetes is increasing. We clearly have a major problem here. And you have a diet industry, for example, that publishes in magazines and publishes all sorts of products and different types of weight loss programs that makes billions of dollars a year. And yet, clearly, obesity is still increasing and diabetes is increasing. So my response to this is to say we, we have to look at the environment within which people make choices about their lifestyles, you know, the environment which promotes different types of lifestyles. And if we're really serious about tackling obesity and increasing levels of physical activity, we have to think about the broader environmental changes that will support that and not just blame it, if you like, on individuals or say it's purely down to individual responsibility. We've got to think much more broadly if we really want to tackle this problem. It's interesting you mentioned the media, and at the same time the media is teaching us how to lose weight, they're certainly appealing to us in many ways to gain weight. Certainly type 2 diabetes was rare in children, and it certainly no longer is. And this is blamed to a certain extent on the junk food, high-carbohydrate, low-nutrient kind of foods that are advertised. You watch cartoons and they're eating certain kinds of foods. You have celebrities eating certain kinds of foods. Apparently, two-year-olds now in the United States can identify products that they ask their parents for. And the biggest thing that the media seems to be doing is, this food is just for you. Mm. So it appeals to the children's independence to pick those kinds of foods that are just for them. How do you respond to this? Certain countries are taking action. Our own, the United States, has not. My response is following, to some extent, what the World Health Organization is now trying to do with this diet and physical activity strategy, which is recognizing the broader environment, sometimes called the obesogenic environment, that one needs to tackle, um, you know, to go beyond giving personal advice. And I think kids, you know, children are such a good example of the need to do that because you may take an ethical viewpoint that adults should know better. I mean, I would definitely question that, but some people might say that. You know, you have the information, you make the choice. Clearly with children, I don't think anyone's going to argue that's the case, particularly not with young children. Again, I would just say, if we're being serious, we have to look at the environment. And as you say, there are places, some of the Scandinavian countries, where they actually ban advertising of those kind of products uh, targeted at children. And this is something we're considering in the UK at the moment as well. And I personally say, well, you know, those are going to be the kind of things that have to be part of this solution. So I would say there's a need for legislation, if necessary. There's also a need for engaging with the food industry taking the example of food. Um, and I'm sure it is the case. You know, that We all need food. We all need good, healthy, wholesome food. And the industry will always be required. And it's a matter of engaging with the industry in a way that they start to see it's in their interests to promote uh, certain products differently, to promote healthier products more, um, you know, to engage in a different way with their consumers that actually works towards preventing diabetes and other forms of chronic disease as well. Is the World Health Organization working on these areas of public policy? It is, yes. There's something called, just as a, by way of analogy, there's something called the Framework Convention for Tobacco Control, part of something called the Tobacco-Free Initiative. It's a useful analogy, although clearly food and tobacco are quite different. Tobacco, you can universally say, just isn't necessary, um, is, a, is, a, is an evil in a sense. Clearly, the food industry is not like that at all. But the Framework Convention for Tobacco provided this framework that countries can sign up to and adopt a range of measures that are pretty 
you know, pretty confident that uh, they help to reduce the level of smoking, such things as banning smoking in public places, banning advertising, prevention of sales to minors, increasing taxation, that kind of thing. So you can think of analogous type measures that might be applied to food. Clearly, it's a different situation in many ways, but you can, the analogy, I think, is quite a good one. So you can think of helping to design a policy framework in terms of taxation, in terms of advertising, in terms of local food production as well, how you support local farmers and then what kind of crops they're supposed to produce. So you can think of a real policy framework that would help to tackle the current epidemic of obesity and type 2 diabetes. I'd like to thank Dr. Nigel Unwin for being our guest today, and we've been discussing diabetes, a world epidemic. And I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. For questions and comments, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com or visit us at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.